This is Andy. Welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Podcast. So glad to have you guys along with us today. And hello from Traverse City, Michigan. I'm working out of the home office this week and had an opportunity to record a conversation with my good friend, Tommy. In this episode, you're going to learn three things. Number one, stories about how the irrigation industry has changed over the last 20 years. Number two, what it's like to work on systems in a metropolitan environment. And three, some productivity tips to improve your business. Now, Tommy is the irrigation manager for Cambridge Landscape, just outside Boston, Massachusetts. Essentially, it is in downtown Boston. And I would consider Tommy to be a long-standing industry veteran. He's been in this business for more than 20 years. However, Tommy is also an early adapter of technology. I first met Tommy back in about 2014. I was introduced to him through one of the distributors that I was working with. Tommy had a large project in downtown Boston that he was investigating the retrofit of cloud-based central control systems. And so it was my opportunity to meet Tommy through my connection with baseline control systems. And since that time, Tommy has installed a dozen or more baseline cloud-based control systems. And I talk to Tommy probably on a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis. And Tommy's been able to reach me weekends, morning, nights, and we've been able to work closely together on these projects to optimize their watering and really get into the fine details of managing large commercial control systems. So before we get into this episode, I just wanted to give you a little bit of backstory on Tommy and his expertise in this industry and how I got to know him originally. And I hope you enjoy. Let's get right into it. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Tommy, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Podcast. Glad to have you on the show, and you and I have known each other for a number of years now. Why don't you just kind of start by maybe telling our audience how you got involved with the irrigation and landscape industry? Well, glad to be here. So I'm, I'm definitely a 30-year guy, 30 years plus in the irrigation industry here. Started way back when, when I got out of high school as a summer job, quickly rose up the ranks. You know, you're, you're foreman and you're managing guys and all of a sudden, five, ten years go by. Then you're, then for sure, you're definitely going to be an irrigation guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Now, when you started out, uh, when you mentioned starting out at high school, were you doing irrigation work or landscape work? Straight into irrigation. Straight. Yeah. Okay. Me and a few friends uh, got a summer job at a large irrigation company, and on the install crews right away for like three summers, we were just helping out. Okay. And was that somebody, you know, when you say you got your job right out of high school, was that because you knew someone that was in the business or how did you get tipped off to that initial opportunity? Somebody that we knew that was in the business needed some summer help, got us kids in there. 
Okay. And that's how it went, it went from there. Awesome. What type of irrigation stuff? Where was that and what type of work was it? That was in the suburbs of Boston and it was mainly residential installations. Early, mid 80s, we were installing two residential houses per day. We had six man crews and it was a pretty good setup that gentleman had. Wow. You know, yeah. Guys would go in and do the plumbing ahead of us. Then someone else would, another two man crew would just go to the house and pull all the pipe, set all the lines up. And then we'd just come in after that and start uh, digging holes, putting all the heads together. And that's how we'd be able to get two houses done in a day. So pretty good. So when you guys left the shop, then you had your two jobs. And when you showed up with somebody, yeah, I may have missed this if you just said it, but were, were the houses already flagged for locations or was someone on your crew doing that? Someone already had that flagged out and pipes pulled by the time we would get there. Okay. Pretty good system over there. Awesome. So, you know, that was in the 80s, right? That was late 80s, mid to late 80s. Okay. So what was the um, types of products were you guys using and installing at that time? Geez, last, at that time, all it was was the Hunter PGP. The spray heads were just the Toro pop-ups way back when, right? Okay. Hunter was just coming out with their, their adjustable head, pop-up spray head that had the adjustable nozzle at the top. Okay. So, so you guys were using then, was that still the 570 series back then? I think so. I so you put so. in the PGP for the rotors and then the Toro sprays. And then what were you guys using for controllers? It was the Toro Vision. <laughs> Yeah, right? so I much for I'm a vision. That, right? I mean, that's what the big controller was back then. Hunter didn't even have a controller back then. I don't even think Rainbird was even doing controllers at that point. Uh, no, they actually they did have that dial controller, right? You know, sometimes I'll hear stories from other guys that say, man, I put this system in 22 years ago. And just last week, you know, I went back to work on it. And either they're surprised because all the stuff is still working awesome or... They're like, wow, all the stuff I put in has been completely replaced. Have you worked on any of your original systems from back in the day? Oh, yeah. And true, true stories, right? So some of the systems that I've installed, you know, changing heads over uh, constantly. Now, now you're into upgrades, right? You can sell the customer on the Wi-Fi controllers now and constantly evolving. But the systems that I've ran for, that I service for 20 years still up and running and as the product as the industry changes right products change and you're able to change either decide on what kind of heads you want to use or rain sensors are always a plus for a system right so yep yep and uh we'll we'll get into some of the real techie stuff that you got going on which i can't wait to talk about you're with cambridge landscape you know maybe you can just give us kind of like a Quick overview on what, you know, who Cambridge Landscape is, what you guys do, and the types of projects that you get involved with. Well, Cambridge Landscape, we're a large landscape company here in Cambridge, Mass. Been in business for now. It's, this is our 40th year, 2019. Dang. We have over 100 employees on the payroll. In the, in the Cambridge area here, we're on a lot, of the, a lot of college campuses. We're on some city projects. There's some unique properties we're on. And glad to be a part of. You know, for those that aren't familiar, they could look on Google Maps, but Cambridge is, you know, it might as well be in downtown Boston because it's just a stone's throw away. You know, for those that have never been there, the traffic is ridiculous. You know, to get from project to project and point A to point B at a certain time of day, it is crazy. So, you know, maybe can you just like walk 
me through showing up in the morning and coming home, getting back in the afternoon and what that looks like? You know, just, you know, we're talking, I've been 30 years in the business, 20, 15, 20 years ago, we were able to get, you know, you set up your day, you'd got 10, 12 things on your list, maybe 15 even. Nowadays, you're lucky to get five to eight things done a day now. You know, just just sitting in traffic. How do you make up all that time? You are, you know, if you're doing less, does that mean, you know, has that inflated pricing? Because if you're doing less, you're charging, you know, more, obviously, because you've got to charge for getting to point A to point B. How is the, has the traffic affected the pricing at all? Yeah, because now you're focusing more on your commercial work. You're sure enough going to be able to bill for more money on those projects, right? Now, Now you're more focused on trying to, organize the customer, the, the truck route for the, the guys really trying to key on saying, having you guys making sure that they're not wasting the, wasting their time trying to drive to go get a part. So let's focus on our efficiency out there. And right. So we're actually even starting our days earlier, even okay. trying to drive out to the properties, get them turned on testing systems when, you know, try to drive into downtown Boston 10 o'clock in the morning. You're looking at 45 to an hour and 15 minutes just getting from Cambridge into downtown Boston in the middle of the morning. Now we're driving out to our properties at 6 a.m. Okay. We can get things done a little quicker and more efficient. Do you guys use any type of technology for like dispatching vehicle surveillance uh, when a vehicle's landed or left a project, anything like that? No. I feel that it takes on another role in itself. So now I, I feel that if we start getting into that, we're looking at another position to fill, right? Gotcha. More work for someone else to have to do that work. I'm afraid to try to go that route. Our guys know where our properties are and we know which ones in order to do so we can get around the city efficiently. I think I'll leave it up to my guys to really manage their day. Right. Yep. And it sounds like you, you know, sort of have to decide how many things you're going to get done in a day. It's kind of up to you to figure that out. Exactly. What we do have is we're using a family app just so we can communicate with each other on what hasn't been finished for the projects. If service call, you go to someone's house. So you go to someone's house who knows what kind of zone valve, what kind of solenoids are in some of the new customers that we pick up. There's always some part that oddball part that you should have on your truck. And for whatever reason, right. Maybe, maybe you got to go back because projects you're waiting on the landscape department and the project is just at a standstill. We've started using this app to just to keep a list of the projects that are open. Okay. Each of us can log into the app like so so my guys are trained now if the, if their day is um, finished at two o'clock and they want to do a couple more things on their way in they can look at the app and say oh i can swing by uh, here i'm close to this place kind of like a let me go and finish a, that a pending honeydew list that they can just reference exactly now i don't have a, a post-it note on the desk on what needs to get finished it's, it's on the app the guys can see it and say oh hey you know what by the way i'm I swung by that house today. We were all done over there. So now we can build it out. Awesome. So. And that's even better because I think sometimes if it's better if people can develop their own sense of what to do instead of having to be told what yeah. to do, they can be self-sufficient Then it's easier all the way around. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, and of course yeah. you could do it so. with like a Google sheet and other technology, but do you know the, all the name of the app? It's Hub. Hub, it's Hub okay. app. Yeah. H-U-B. You know how the family apps with their calendar and all that, all we're using is the, is the things to do list on okay. there. 
And okay. it's just in there and when it has the date of when we were last at the property. So now I can control on how long it takes for us to have to go back to the pl- to property, right? Sometimes you, you, you do a project and you have to go back for whatever reason. It could sit on your desk for three weeks before you say, oh, geez, I got to go back over there, you know, because right. you're, you're in the mode of the season, right? Okay. Running here, running there, putting fires out. So it's just one little way to get things done a little quicker. And you feel like your team members like using it and they're, they are using it? We are using it. Okay. We are using it. Man, well, we could spend yeah. the whole time talking about efficiency apps like that because they're definitely, there's going to be more of them. And you know, like you said, it's a way to just become more efficient. And, you know, I look at it as like a self, self-service instead of the guys having to call you, hey, Tommy, where am I going to yeah. go? I'm done early. And then right. you got to stop what you're doing is they just can look and yeah. know. Exactly. So, oh, yeah, geez, I was there. I have the part now. I can just, we can swing by and grab it, get it all taken care of. You yeah. know, and there's always properties like, in, when you're going out to do your spring turn-ons, right, you're getting the systems fired up. I tell my guys, listen, don't spend the time now on moving the heads out from underneath the shrubs because the shrubs grow too much. Or don't worry about that pipe that's kinked under the tree. Let's just add it to our list. We'll get our spring taken care of. And if there's an open spot, we'll just swing in there and grab it. This way, then they're not deviating from their list of things to do that the whole day. Uh, we just create a service list to go back to. Fantastic. You know, you guys maintain the Boston Public Garden. I don't know if it's the largest green space in Boston. It's certainly right up there. It's the first, so it's the first park in the country, Boston Public Gardens. A little history there. So this may seem, you know, very junior in terms of U.S. history, but it predates Central Park. Is that right? It does. It does. Okay. Yep. And uh, so you guys maintained uh, the Boston Public Garden. And that was, you know, I think that was the first project that you and I worked really closely on. And I know they had, uh, you know, maybe we can get you to go into some of the details, but I think they had just from a big perspective, multiple controllers, you know, hundred and some odd zones and uh, just big, big property. So it was 142 zone system, I-25, spray heads, I-20 rotor heads some drip. So we got a lot of different products in the ground for, for each of areas of campus over there. It was set up with four Hunter ICC controllers on the wall. We, what I did was I combined it to one central cabinet, I should say, right? Bicoders mm-hmm. is what this is. Yep. I had a custom cabinet made, eight bicoder boards with 24 stations each on each of the boards talking to one controller now and we're able to link into it i use my mini ipad as a remote control while i'm walking around the campus to make adjustments let's back up a little bit but we were we're working with the friends of the common they're a management group for the working between the city and they've asked us to come in and make the system more efficient you can see see that when we first got in there i my first spring turn on, I started flagging heads that were all leaking water. After I turned on three of the zones, I had 20 heads flagged out that needed replacing. So I stopped what we were doing and I had to make a phone call and say, listen, we're only two zones, three zones into this. I already have all these many heads we got to replace. I'm anticipating it opening up a can of worms here. And And what did they say to that? Well, I got the okay to do what I needed to do. That's why we were, we were brought in. 
that first spring, we ended up replacing over 400 heads on the campus. So we try to make it efficient, right? So right. So let me started. let me um just stop you right there. So they say, hey, you know, Cambridge Landscape, Tommy, we've got the system. We need it to be more efficient. What do you think in their mind? Well, in their mind, what does that really mean? Be more efficient. You know, what, what are they? What were they hoping to to get as a result of improving their system? Definitely in the water savings, right? The public garden is holds a ton of water on its own. The soil, it's beautiful over there. Watering and having the heads leaking and no rain sensor on the system and Hunter ICC controllers, let me put 20 minutes on this zone, 15 minutes on that zone. There's no water management at all going on, right? The things were running almost 24-7 when we first got in there from the previous uh, management company that was in, out there. So right away, I went in there and just started cutting the run times down. We swapped out all the heads. We started coming up with new programs to run out there. And then, then we started searching out what was the right controller to replace the ones that were there. You got the Rainbird, you got the IQ system, got the MaxiCom system, and Baseline. We ended up choosing Baseline because I felt that it was most self-efficient. Once the moisture sensors get in and you dial everything down, we do want to log in to manage and see what's happening. For the most part, we've been able to let it run on its own. We've got great results so far. First season in with the Baseline and we're already been asked to price out a few other parks in the city. Awesome. New controllers. In regards to like, a, let's say a, a day in the life of the public garden in Cambridge, do you have crew there or does Cambridge have crew there every day? Uh, we don't need to be there every day. You don't need to no. be there every day. Okay. So what is, no. what is the general like maintenance schedule look like for you guys there? We're just irrigation out there. So my first season, yes, we were out there three, four times a week, adjusting heads, swapping out all the heads that we did in the spring, right? Moving some heads, getting them in the right positions, troubleshooting the troubled zones with pressure issues and whatnot. Now we're in there probably once a week. I'm checking the baseline manager probably every other day just to give it a glance to okay. make sure things are doing what they're doing. It's supposed to be the, what I want them to be run by. We've really turned everything around in the service they can't be more happy. Cool. You know, and if we go back to like where you started in, in the eighties and, you know, I guess we could think of that, you know, you said we installed all these Hunter PGPs and, you know, let's, I would think from a innovation perspective, you know, the mechanical nature of those products, we were sort of in a, a mechanical bubble pre-digital, right? There was that vision controller wasn't digital. Yeah. You know, those were probably quote unquote innovations in technology at that time, you know, from what I'm kind of, taken away from you now is that you continue to use technology with this uh, hub app and your and your crews, you know, using baseline with the automation and the remote capabilities. Do you see other opportunities for technology in the Cambridge business? Yeah, right. There's, there's so much out there, right? So you got to, everything's to help. There's all these tools out there to help you be more efficient. You just got to keep searching and waiting for the thing. Just try different things. Is this the one that's right for me? Is this right for me? Oh, can this work? I think that this one here will work better for us, right? You try different things, either apps or controllers. I think that the industry is definitely driven the controller, driving the controllers to the Wi-Fi and the cellular and logging mm -hmm. in all that stuff. And guys have to adjust. They have to catch up to the technology that's out there. 
you know, when you, when you haven't used a product before, you know, you're taking, I would say some sort of a, a risk. Anytime something is new, whether it's new to the world or new to a user for the first time, there's a certain amount of risk. So how do you sort of weigh that, you know, Hey, there's a new piece of technology and here's the risk. So if it fails, you know, how do you decide what would happen if something didn't work right? And how do you play that game of risk and opportunity? I think that the experience that I've had over the years, you're able to take risks on some of the products because I feel that the manufacturers and the reps, we have a good rapport. I just think that, yeah, trust the technology, right? Right. Trust. Yep. Trust the technology. And sometimes you're out there and you're troubleshooting. You think, oh, what am I doing wrong? And then it's like, trust the technology. And he's like, oh yeah, that's it. That's the quick, easy fix, right? Right. Maybe so you were overthinking it. You're overthinking <laughs> things sometimes, right? So. <laughs> Absolutely. God dang. True. I was like way overthinking this. It's so simple. <laughs> we're past the point of programming controllers for spray zones for 15 minutes and rotor zones for 25 minutes. That We're so past on that watering, the thinking behind that watering is there's so much out there now. The customers and the contractors to start catching up to speed. The guys that refuse to try and get into the new technology, it's, they're just going to fall further and further behind. Now, would you, um, you know, the, so there's a certain amount of technology, let's say is over the counter, you know, either over the counter because there's really nothing uh, patentable or, or, or what have you. And there's over the counter because let's say you're monitoring or not monitoring, you have a, a client that's let's say they're actually in Cambridge and it's a, it's a, you know, large estate for, for Cambridge and maybe they have a 14 zone system and they went out and just bought a, a controller from let's say the box store and it was a Wi-Fi. you know, does that bother you at all? Do you care that they purchase this or do you just accept it and then continue to manage it and help them? You know, how do you think that affects the business? You have to accept it now pricing. It, 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 it affects our pricing, right? Right away. They're on Amazon checking out, every product you've proposed to them. So, hey, I can get this controller for 150 bucks, right? So do you give up on letting them purchase the controller and say, well, hire me to install it then for you, mm -hmm. right? So you mm -hmm. still have the service end and you still have them as a repeat customer and you got to accept what's out there. There are customers that will do that. It's very minimal percentage of your customer base, but you don't, you never know what's down the road, what will come out of a good deed. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And you know, we could have a whole nother discussion whole nother about uh, right. pricing and transparency and markup and all of that. We'll save that for, we'll get you back right. on the show and we'll, we'll talk, uh, you know, business <laughs> sense. <laughs> right. Well, right. I mean, you know, so you're hanging the controller that they purchased. Okay, fine. So now you're walking around their property. Oh, let's move this head because this will do that better. Let's cover this, you know, bury this pipe or raise this nozzle, whatever, right? Or, right. hey, even not even thing and say, you know what, we can have our pruning division come down here and really cut these trees back for you and cut prune everything up for you. And you, there's money to be made everywhere. So Right, the value. Problem. As long as you keep adding so, value and helping them, they'll find opportunities for you to help if you've got that yeah. trust. You know, but the Just moment plant you say, the seed. 
Because I do yeah. get feedback from people that they may take the opposite approach, which, you know, I think you're looking at it as always an opportunity. Even if they have bought this, some parts direct or they're price checking you, there's still an opportunity there. And I, I hear from other contractors, they'll, they, they'll say things like, you, you bought these parts elsewhere, then I'm not going to warranty my system because you didn't buy the parts through me. I mean, I'm just right. kind of putting this out there. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's right or wrong. Personally, I don't think that's the the right approach. You can, you know, warranty your labor. If a part fails, well, that's on the manufacturer and they buy another one. They can pay you to replace it. But I think, yeah, you got to look at it as always an opportunity to help your customers. Because you, you never know who they're going to talk to, who you're going to get referrals from. So, hey, this guy helped me out. You never know. You never know where it's all going to come in from. Let me ask you this. How has the role of a distributor changed have you seen since you got started and are there things that a distributor could be doing to let's say increase their value in the market or you know let's just talk about that for a second what's the how's the role of distribution the same different or changing the role that they actually that they should be taking on now is i mean they're getting more involved with the training of, of uh, guys so we don't have too many avenues beyond the supply shops and getting training for them we can go online, we can look at YouTube videos, all that stuff, but it's a matter of getting the guys trained. Actually, it's more about their own guys on the other end of the phone. We're calling for part. We want to be able to have the guy answer the phone and know exactly what he's what we're ordering. Got it. Somebody that knows what they're talking about, not just somebody that's answering the phone. Exactly. Well, we order a part, then we, we get questions back at us. Oh, what kind is that? What size? What, you know, should be able to order this, the, the part, the part number, not have to worry about getting any questions back on. Right. Do you think when you were getting started that uh, the distributors are, were more knowledgeable then or they're more knowledgeable now or, you know, how, how has that changed? I feel that they were more knowledgeable then, back way back when, because you only had the one guys trying. They're trying to make it back, make it in the industry back then. They were trying, you know, they're trying to build their customer base back then. The kids had knowledge of all the materials in there, but now probably the issue is is they have so much more they're selling. It's not just irrigation anymore, right? In the supply right. shops, I can see, I can see where the frustration sets in, I guess, on your end too. So it's a trickle down effect. Hmm. Where now it, uh, if the knowledge is on you, they're just the order taker. And if they're just the order taker, there's not as much value in that because you have choices, even online choices, that if it's literally about taking an order, a computer can take an order better than a person can take an order. But the person you know, is there for you with relationship, value, knowledge. So if that's not there, you know. We talked about the customer going online, getting their own products, having us hiring the contractor. Will we take the job on? Will we not take the job on? And to combat that situation with the, with the customer, we, our supply shops are actually giving a higher warranty on the product. So if they went on to Amazon and ordered a controller for 110 bucks, 125 bucks, they're only getting a one-year warranty on that controller. Whereas if they did go through us, had us purchase it, install it for them, they're getting close to three years probably on some on nice. some materials. Interesting. So, I haven't heard that before. That's so a way to tell, tell yeah. me more about that. Does that mean that we won't mention any supply shop names? So let's just say that right. um, someone right. was going to buy a, a Rainbow Tour or Hunter product, whether it be a valve, a sprinkler, or a timer controller, 
What you're saying is that the supply shop is able to add an additional warranty? Yes. On the manufacturer's yes. warranty? Yep. So, for instance, I just, I just went through this because customer wanted to order a Wi-Fi controller, the HydroWise, okay. online. Says he can get it cheaper online. I didn't have any issues with that. I called my supply shop up. I said, cancel the order. I don't need it now. And the first thing he brought up to me, he goes, well, let them know that they're going to have a higher warranty from, from you than purchasing it for the one-year warranty that they're going to get from Amazon. Very good. No, yeah. it, makes, it actually makes sense because... Uh, if the homeowner so, install or the, the client installs it themselves, they may or may not know what they're doing, but if they do buy it from a, a professional who's installing it, then the, the supply company is able to basically trust the fact that it's being installed by the professional. So the things like grounding and, and wires being installed yeah. correctly are going to be better. So there's less risk and it's a, it sounds like a win-win. It's a good it's good. Um, well, I like that. It, it helps myself reassuring that the supply shop has my back. Uh, well, maybe we could talk about uh, the types of tools that you use. Like if you have a, you know, if you could pick five tools that are your most go-to products, you know, what do you find the most useful? We have a unique tool for getting under the walkways or even people's driveways is the mole. We just, so what, tell us, what does that mean? What tool is that? A big torpedo device attached to a hose that's connected to the air compressor. What happens if we needed to get underneath someone's driveway or even a good five or three foot, five foot walkway, we would dig a hole about 18 inches down for this five foot torpedo to sit flat level on the ground, hammer through the bottom underneath the driveway. That allows us to get a sleeve across and get us to the other side. Now that, we, that eliminates us having to cut and patch and pave the driveway or walkways at all. So it's a yeah, pretty heck cool yeah, tool. You can never quite get a pavement flush again, no matter what. It's very difficult. Exactly. There's is that something that's using from. like air through or is it just simply hammering underneath? It's basically air driven from the air compressor, just hammers through, slowly hammers through, gets to, gets to the other side, put it in reverse, and then slot a PVC pipe underneath there. Awesome. I would imagine so in a city like Boston, you got to do that a lot because there's infrastructure oh, yeah. everywhere. We're using it all the time. We actually sent it out for service, so it gets used all the time. It's great. Is that the same compressor that you use for winterizations? <clears throat> Absolutely. What about like... Um, electrical troubleshooting my toner best tool in the trade so you get the toner device you hook up one of the leads on your wire that you're troubleshooting you ground the other end and then i guess we would call it the wand mm -hmm. you would go to the far end of the wire you're trying to troubleshoot in the field and you can just find a particular wire in a group of reds, right? Same color wire. Which wire am I troubleshooting? The toner actually has been a life-saving device. A lot of guys need to get that. So that's something that you always got to have on your truck? Always. Always got to have it on your truck. And you know, the other the other tool is YouTube. You want to keep training you guys. In the downtime, well, guys, let's go up to the conference room and we'll just talk about where we, we need help in. And we'll just start looking for videos and playing videos for a few hours. It's good stuff. Camaraderie with the guys. and Yeah. And plus you can find stuff that you can laugh and joke about too. Probably exactly. more of that. Exactly. <laughs>
that's 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 more where the camaraderie comes in, right? So it's fun. Right. Yeah, and you can de- yeah. debunk the stuff that is maybe not true out there. You know, you can learn from that as well. You get a lot of what were they thinking? How many photos do we have of that? What are ninety-five percent? <laughs> How many guys post things on the internet and put it on YouTube and it's like, what are you guys thinking? <laughs> right. You know, anything that you feel is unique about working in the city of Boston that if you were in, you know, small town America or in any smaller city that may not apply, but that's just unique to working in Boston. The best part is the history. Boston's like one of the first towns on the map. And there's a lot of different monuments around town that illustrate all our history from even the country's history. A lot of it started right here in Boston. And you see different things all the time. Things are evolving with the with the town. So, so let's take the, the garden again. You told us that uh, that was the first, essentially the first park in America, which means that soil is you know, may not be original, but it's certainly old. Have you ever dug anything historical up or been, you know, had to be careful while you were excavating for that purpose? Unfortunately, have not. Okay. Still looking for my pot of gold. Yeah, you're still looking for Paul Revere's, uh, <laughs> right. you know, the muscle coins or something. The, the old arrowheads. So it's been a lot of years of digging and we haven't found anything. Yeah, All right. Well, there you go. That's motivation to go in every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we keep old bottles. We got a little bottle collection, right? I'm sure a bunch of the irrigation guys out there have oh. dug up bottles over the years. Well, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, Tommy. Thanks so much for sharing your early story and what you got going on right now. You're certainly a market leader in Boston. It's just been awesome to hear your story and uh, look forward to having you on the show another time. And thanks so much for coming. Look forward to it. Thanks, Andrew. It's great. Yeah. You great bet, man. With you. We'll talk to you okay. soon. All right, guys, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Sprinkler Nerd podcast. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this conversation with Tommy and that you're able to use some of this information in your day-to-day work. I know there was at least one or two good nuggets in there. And if you'd like to ask us any questions or talk more, you can visit sprinklernerd.com where you can find all the links to our social media groups. Also, feel free to visit us on iTunes and leave a comment on this episode or this podcast. This is still a young podcast, and I look forward to reading and responding to each and every one of your comments and feedback. So I think that's it. Thanks so much, guys. And until the next episode, happy sprinkling, and we'll talk to you soon.